Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I'm a child who's been trained to use explosives to brutally kill my enemies, all of whom have families, by the way. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. Finally, they made a Rocket League movie. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I love this Aquaman sequel. <laughs> Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Fast 10. We got Jen Yamato from the LA Times to join us for that review. It's going to be a lot of fun. Jen, of course, has joined us for many reviews of Fast movies over the years, um, so it's great to have her back. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us on uh, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, uh, at the Filmcast Pod. Find us on TikTok at the Filmcast. We're posting new videos every single week. And you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash film podcast. Sign up for ad-free episodes, exclusive after darks, and early access to episodes. Uh, we really appreciate everyone there who keeps this podcast going. We got uh, a little bit of feedback, some follow-ups from the last couple weeks of episodes. We got uh, some what we've been watching for you today and some weekly plugs before we get to our Fast 10 review. So let's get into it, folks. I wanted to start with a little Summer Movie Wager update. Uh, currently, by the way, if you go to the summermoviewager.com, all players are tied in a dead heat. <laughs> um, <laughs> Guardians is number one and Fast 10 is number two uh, at the box office. So we all have the same number of points at the moment, but that could change pretty rapidly in the days to come. Yeah, those early reviews of Indiana Jones, not not looking so good. Not looking good. Scary. Not looking Scary. good. Uh, Sad. Meanwhile, Flash, the Flash looks like it could open higher than Guardians of the Galaxy. So uh, it, who knows? If it does, maybe Flash could be number one of the box office this summer. We'll see. Uh, and Fast 10 opened with around $67 million of the box office this weekend. Uh, it did much better overseas. Fast 10 is one of the most expensive movies of all time. So uh, expensive. <laughs> $340 million budget, apparently. Uh, and that's for a lot of reasons. It has a cast of approximately, I think, I counted this, one zillion people. Yeah, gajillion. Um, yeah. And a lot of them are like A-list stars. They probably got paid a lot for the movie. Uh, they also had to start and stop the production, if I understand correctly, due to uh, shutdowns and so on. So that also contributed to the budget. Uh, Vin Diesel got paid $20 million from what I read. So anyway, uh, it needs to do over $800 million in order to turn a profit. Uh, and it's on its way there. But domestically, it has come in under F9, the Fast Saga. Uh, and we'll see how fast it, it sinks. I mean, this really makes anyone who put Fast 10 high up on their list look pretty silly today. <laughs> Jeff Kanata. Um, um, so that's all I have to say. How high that. did I put it? I don't think I put it that <laughs> You high. put it... The highest out of any person on the summer movie. The people who actually like Fast and Furious, yeah. Jeff put it at number six. Everyone else put it at number seven. So it's not like we were that Oh, what a faux pas. One higher. I know. I know. But Jeff, I got to find some ways to give you a difficult time. You know yeah. what I mean? It's hard this year when all of our lists are so weirdly aligned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those indie five reviews though, man. Oof, we'll see. Scary. We'll see how it, really, Scary. really looking bad for all of us who put indie five at number two. Yeah, almost uh, everybody. Which is almost everyone. Yeah. Uh, so the, I'm less worried about the movie wager and more worried about the fact that there may be two two bad Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, that'd be rough. That'd be rough. That'd be so rough. Last week on the podcast, we talked about a viral post that's been going live, uh, going around the internet 
uh, about people like spilling popcorn. Like, make sure you spill popcorn at the end of your uh, at, when you finish uh, watching a movie. You know, it's your it's your job. It's it's polite to put the popcorn down. Um, and I saw this comment at patreoncom podcast that really sent a chill down my spine, and I wanted to share it with you guys. Kyle writes in a patreon.com slash film podcast quote, I worked at a theater chain for six years from two, uh, from 1994 to 2000 in Fresno. It wasn't rare to have patrons intentionally discard their popcorn in front of me as we were about to clean. One time a man with his kids started to leave, but re- he remembered something. He went back and picked up his popcorn. I thought how nice he's going to throw it away. Mm-hmm. Instead, he dumped it on the aisle floor. His boy, confused, asked why he did that, and his father replied, I'm helping the worker stay employed. Then he walked past me with a proud smile. What a mensch. <laughs> Absolutely unhinged behavior. That like I cannot imagine helping the worker stay employed. Like if there's nothing to clean up, they're gonna fire these kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't be like random psycho person in Fresno theater. Uh clean up after yourself. It's it, theater, the theater is not like the Hunger Games. There are still rules. We do live in a society, <laughs> you know. Yeah, Jeff, I don't think you ever saw someone intentionally dump something out in front of you, right? Hmm. No, not in front of me. That would be if they like made eye contact. Yeah, with they made you eye contact like... while they're doing it. That's <laughs> so creepy, right? That's not this. This had to have started somewhere, though, right? Like people could not have just gotten this idea um, from from the ether. There, there must have been. Uh, what was the the Prometheus the uh, Prometheus spark? You know, yeah. what was yeah. the thing that caused this to start happening? Who is patient zero of dumping out the popcorn? Some mm. some kid got fired from a movie theater one one time in 1978 because they said, "Well, there's not there, yeah. we don't need the, the theater's <laughs> clean. We don't need you." And then that story spread like wildfire. It's like an urban <laughs> legend. Basically, right? <laughs> I really like this comment too from uh, Benjamin talking about uh, last week's. Uh, you know, we we reviewed Bo is Afraid. Uh, last week on the show. Bold choice, considering very few people have seen the movie, but uh, it was one that we really wanted to discuss. (laughs) We're we're congratulating ourselves for being bold right now? I am. Okay. Courageous. Bold. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin writes in at patreon.com slash film podcast. He says, "Uh, last week you teased the bold discussion and laughingly talked about how the movie will probably disappear from movie theaters immediately. This excited me even more to see it as soon as I could and just as a side note, I'm currently working in a small indie cinema in Berlin with three small screening rooms. We have a lot of freedom and can curate our program as we like to a certain point. I urged my boss to play Bo is Afraid on release week, and I may have mentioned a couple times how excited I was for the movie. When I saw our new programming for this week, I noticed we would show Bo three times a day at the best slots. I thought, well, how bad can it be? I saw the movie at our first screening, and I loved it. The first hour is maybe the best stuff Ari Aster has put out yet, and I'm a sucker for those heavy cerebral movies. Also, a huge Neon Genesis Evangelion fan. I saw parallels here that maybe Devendra could comment on, or maybe I just see Neon Evangelion uh, Genesis and everything. Uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion and everything. Needless to say, this week, Bo is basically gone from the theater. It was a total disaster. People left screenings in utter confusion or barely made it to the two-hour mark. My boss will never listen to me again, end quote. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's yeah. just the kind of thing you get for being a patron of the film cast. Live boldly, mm. as we say. Like you know, what? you know what, though? If he's thinking about firing you, just dump out popcorn on the ground. <laughs> and he can't. He can't. I just love the butterfly effect of because we decided to review Bo is Afraid, this tiny theater in Berlin uh, may have decided to play it and led to a bunch of 
confused, discombobulated patrons coming out of uh, I need, I need to uh, please send along the name of that theater because next time in Berlin, I will certainly visit. Yeah, slashfilmcast.gmail.com, let us know. Next uh, time at Devinger's swinging through Berlin. <laughs> it, it does happen. There <laughs> okay. are events there. And I love that city. It's a lovely city. Yeah. One last email I wanted to read. This one is at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. This one comes in from Kat. In uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Guardians of the Galaxy, and there was some discussion about whether you should take your children to go see Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I happen to think the movie's really troubling and disturbing. Uh, of course, Jeff pointed out the movie is rated PG-13, and that should be a, a good warning for parents. Um, but yeah, there, there is some upsetting material, especially around animals uh, and animals being in pain and distress. Kat writes into slash filmcast.gmail.com, quote, I couldn't help but writing to contribute to the ongoing discussion about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I will preface this by saying that I have a PhD in frightening children's films and have published multiple academic books and papers on this topic. Oh, wow, an expert. I am I generally very pro-children seeing films they may find challenging, frightening, or upsetting, within reason and with a child's consent, as such experiences are often valuable. Meanwhile, my feelings about censorship and film classification are complicated at best, and I do not hold organizations like MPAA in very high regard, but I do think they can serve a useful role. I'm not trying to wave around my qualifications to shut down discussion, but I do have a certain level of expertise. Jeff and other listeners appear to be making fun of Dave for feeling like a warning about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 uh, uh, possibly disturbing elements is necessary, citing the PG-13 rating as an obvious indicator that the film isn't suitable for children under 13 and therefore doesn't need any warning. I think that each of you have fair points, but I side with Dave here. The rating includes the number 13, but what a whole lot of people are conveniently neglecting to mention is that it also includes the letters PG, standing for parental mm -hmm. guidance. This is 50% of the rating's name. The exact definition of PG-13, according to the MPAA website, is some material may be inappropriate for children under 13, and parents are urged to be cautious. The fact of the matter is that children under 13 are allowed to see PG-13 films, so there arguably does need to be some kind of warning in place for parents that take, want to take their young kids. Let's also not forget that no two 13-year-olds are the same, uh, or will be upset or frightened by the same things. This is why parents are cautioned, so they can make informed decisions appropriate to their children's taste and tolerance. The MPAA's own guidance is vague to the point of being utterly useless, saying that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of violence and action, strong language, suggestive drug references, and thematic elements. That gives a parent no clues as to the film's content and whether they should take their children. Um, where the rating system itself is failing to give adequate context information to filmgoers, the moviegoers themselves are filling in the gaps. In my view, this is all that Dave is doing and empowering parents to carry out the PG part of the PG-13. Thanks so much for reading, Kat. End quote. I, oh man. <laughs> With all due respect to the credentials and, and consideration. Yeah. Which, by the way, I, I honestly thought Kat was joking at first. I thought she was just saying, like, oh, mm -hmm. I have a PhD in this subject. But then, like, <laughs> she literally cited her Google Scholars, <laughs> Scholar citations afterwards. And I was like, oh, that's a it's a real thing. Yeah, but I love the ahead. doctoral the thesis in Spooky Scary. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, I, I, I'm a little um, <sighs> triggered at the <laughs> this because uh, I think that is a woeful misinterpretation of what PG thirteen means, mm -hmm. and it's 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 I think well, do, indicative. Do, 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 you, do you at least agree, Jeff, that the guidance they provide is not great? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they, they usually give PG thirteen, and they, they they should provide like more detail about why that's I, the case. I, I I certainly can get behind an effort to want more detail. Yes, but 
I think the actual interpretation of PG-13 mm-hmm. is we can be fairly confident as an organization that rates movies that 13-year-olds and up will be okay with this movie. We are not going to restrict access to this movie to people under 13, like we do to people under 17 for rated R movies, but we will advise that parents guide their own decisions. All we can be sure of is that if you're 13 and over, you're probably gonna be okay. If you want to take it in your own hands, Mm-hmm. The PG part, she's like, oh, the PG is 50% of the rating. Yeah, the PG part is, hey, parents, if you have a kid under 13 and you want them to see this movie, maybe you should watch it first and guide the decision. Mm-hmm. That is what the interpret, that is what the point is. It's not like, oh, it's partly PG and partly 13. It's half and half. No, no, no. Parental guidance means have some informed decision to make. Like we we're telling you. 13 is probably smart, but if you want to do it differently, it is your job to guide that decision, parent. Like the idea that we are like, we should be able to just bring our children blindly to the movies and have everything that happens in the movie we know is okay for our nine-year-old when it says PG-13. It makes me mad. That I mean, ma- that, that's that how it's been for every mad. other PG-13 MCU movie, though. What? I mean, they 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 have been fine bringing their kids to the other ones. So the guidance from any parent would be like, "Oh yeah, the other one's fine." Yeah, it's I, fine. I, yeah. I, I actually agree with you, Jeff. Like on on how mm-hmm. it should work, which is like it's up to the parent to do the work. Um, what Devinder is pointing out is that um, I would argue as a PG thirteen movie, this one is more upsetting than other PG thirteen yeah. movies. But you're yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right, Jeff. That like it's it's up to the parent to make that decision. Where I agree with Cat in this email is the guidance from the MPAA is like useless and like doesn't mm-hmm. provide parents enough information. Like yeah. it's, it's a tall order to ask a parent to like watch a movie or like read extensively about a movie um, before taking their kid in the, yeah. in the absence of more detailed guidance. I, I take the well, idea of guidance as the information available to the parent. And often that is prior experience with these movies, but that this is why, like, I think Dave, like you pointed this out and I, I pointed it out too. Like, I do think this movie is a little, a little harsher. Than some other ones so that is what the warning is for to make parents who may care about this stuff aware it, That's all. It, 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 they're literally saying our recommendation is that they be 13 and you're saying like well i've taken my nine-year-old to all those other 13 ones so i should be safe to do this one it's like what well, that's it, that's that's the guidance like that no, that is the information not. they've had before i mean jeff you're we're tired parents are tired <laughs> It's just like, I don't know. You're going to the talking raccoon movie? That's fine. Go with your friends. What what should I, what should I as a parent? I should not expect face peeling off of that. I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, anyway, uh, a variety of thoughts here. But, Jeff, it sounds like one place we can agree, um, more detailed ratings or easier access to those ratings uh, detail is probably something I, that I believe be there are websites that do that. Yeah. There are- yeah. Parental, and if you're mm-hmm. so inclined, you can you know find those sure, websites sure. that'll break down exactly you know what the objective. There, there are stuff. also like trusted figures who parents may turn to about warning of some kinds of content. You know, yeah. so. Tr- trusted yeah. podcast. They did what? It has the number thirteen on. Ah, yeah, yeah. I don't understand what you want from them. Like, we to- we told you that we recommend your kid be thirteen. Well, I took my nine year old, and they were terrified. You should have, you should have warned me. What? What? 
That's exactly what they did. All right. <laughs> well, moving on. Uh, there is one other piece of sad news I wanted to mention before we move on, and that's uh, news broke this week that Ray Stevenson has passed away. Oh, man. Uh, he is the star of uh, movies like Punisher Warzone, RRR. Yep. Uh, he was in the RRR as the villain in that movie, and uh, I just wanted to give him a shout-out. Because... Also co-star of Rome, the HBO series Rome, which everybody should go see. Because Game of Thrones, I think, honestly, would not exist without Rome. Like, without doing what Rome did. That is an incredible series. And Ray Stevenson is very, very good in it. So just He's go only 58. Yeah. Yeah, so young. Uh, he will apparently be in the Ahsoka series on Disney+, Plus, the Star mm-hmm. Wars series. He so, looks great in that, by the way, in the trailer. He looks yeah. tremendous. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's uh, pretty pretty stunning, you know. Uh, very talented guy uh, and somebody who, uh, yeah. I mean, I remember Punisher Warzone is kind of like widely regarded, from my understanding, widely regarded as like a really good take on that mm-hmm. character. It's a lot right? of fun. And so uh, sad that he has passed away, but wanted to acknowledge him here on the film cast. All right, before we move on, I want to take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be right back with what we've been watching right after this. It's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, StoryWorth. You know, <laughs> have you ever had this experience? I was talking to my dad uh, as an adult, just having a conversation with my dad. And all of a sudden, he drops a story that I had never heard him say before. A, a, a period in his life he had never referenced because why would I? I'm a little kid. He's not talking to me like a little kid. We just don't have those kinds of conversations. And that got me wondering, how many other stories don't I know? That's why I got my dad StoryWorth for Father's Day a couple years ago. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your dad or father figure connect through sharing stories and memories. And it also preserves them for you and your family for years to come every week. StoryWorth emails your dad a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions that you've probably never thought to ask, like, what's one of your fondest childhood memories? Or have you ever feared for your life? Wow, what a cool, cool thing to hear about from your father figure. I really loved reading my dad's answers to those questions. They were emailed to me as he was going, and he really took time and care in composing his answers, because he knew they were gonna be kept for posterity. He was communicating to future generations. I discovered stories and memories I never heard about, and I learned new things about stories I already thought I knew. And after a year, StoryWorth compiles all those questions and stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book the whole family can share for generations. I'm going to be able to share those with my my kids and and my kids kids. It's just wonderful. Give all the fathers in your life a meaningful gift you can both cherish for years to come. Story worth. Right now for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go through storyworth.com/filmcast. That's s t o r y w o r t h dot com slash f i l m c a s t. Save yourself ten dollars on your first purchase. Storyworth dot com slash filmcast. All right, folks, let's get to what we've been watching this week. I had a chance to watch what, uh, for much of the last week, was Netflix's number one movie, uh, a movie called The Mother. 
Have you guys heard of this movie, The Mother? It's oh, an yeah. action movie starring Jennifer mm-hmm. Lopez. Jennifer yeah. Lopez getting ripped, shooting guns. Yep. Directed by Nikki Caro. And this movie is completely unremarkable, I have to say. <laughs> it, uh, you, you should watch this movie if you want to see Jennifer Lopez kicking ass. Being which a badass, you know, yeah. which is like, yeah. hey, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of her doing that. And so, therefore, if that is what you are looking for, I think this movie will kind of deliver. But everything else about the movie is woefully generic. Um, there are very few action scenes that really stick out. And, in fact, I would argue one of the action scenes in this movie is one of the worst action scenes I've seen in the last year. <laughs> like, it's it's really poorly done. Oh, that's um, sad. There's some technical elements of the movie that are just really sloppy. Uh, so, for instance, Joseph Fine is in the movie and literally does not sound like he recorded any of his dialogue on set. Like, it literally sounds like they dubbed in a completely different actor for Joseph Fine. Um, Gal Gar- Garcia Bernal is in this movie, chewing some scenery. He's fun. But, yeah, I, I was really hoping this would be like, oh, like, solid, you know... <sighs> Jennifer Lopez is like John Wick or whatever, but it's just like what well, right, right. in in a in a world where we have John Wick Chapter Four coming out this year, most other action movies feel like a real letdown, and this one uh, just feels painfully generic and not great. Um, but Sad it is hear. extremely popular and people are loving it. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's the children who are wrong. That's what I have to say <laughs> about my thoughts. Um, is this a movie that was on your radar, Davindra? Jeff, any, I mean, any of you guys want to check uh, this I, I watched the trailer because I do like Jennifer Lopez in action mode, and I would love to see more of that. And I also like Nikki Caro. You know, like I, I loved Whale Rider, and I thought I forget like where I came down her Mulan movie. I thought it, was, it seemed like okay. Yeah. I, I want better for her too as a director. I continually be a uh, kid. Continually be. I'm continually astounded by Jennifer Lopez's uh, insistence on defying aging. And mm-hmm. I will be yeah. uh, I will be mesmerized by that in any form, uh, and this is one of those. So I I was definitely aware of it. I don't know if I was going to rush out and see it, but I, I I think there's like a behind the scenes, like what she did to get ready for the movie. Right, I'll watch right. that. <laughs> yeah, she does look amazing in this movie, and uh, clearly put in some prep. But oh man, I, I I guess I just feel like it's not that hard to even deliver on the mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. scale of a generic action movie you know like it's it's uh, yeah i shouldn't say it's not that hard any movie is difficult to make but i i think um i i think what i'm trying to say is with a little bit more tweaking and effort some of the action sequences in this movie could have been truly thrilling yeah and i did not find them to be particularly good so it's it's good to have a reminder right that to do good action it does require it requires a lot more setup and training you know than uh than i think some people are used to so, yeah, yeah. It, it just um, it, it's pretty rough in this movie and I wanted to like it it is a hugely popular movie that millions of people have seen mm-hmm. at this point uh, you can check it out on Netflix it's called The Mother it's one thing I've been watching this week Divin your hardware, what's one thing you've been watching sure. this week? Speaking of JLo, by the way, talk about somebody who should be in the Fast and Furious movies like that <laughs> oh, would, wow. it would destroy the box office just explode if that Jeff is such a good poll, Devendra. Come on, let's make that happen. But anyway, as for what I'm watching, uh, I checked out the first few episodes of Primo, which is a new show on Amazon Freebie. That is the the service with ads, but it's freely available, so that's pretty cool. This is a show created by Shea Serrano. Um, you know, he's a writer and podcaster from The Ringer and a bunch of other places. It's about a teenage um, a teenage boy in 
believe it's San Antonio. Yeah, San Antonio, Texas. He is living with his mother. It's basically like Shea Serrano's life. You know, it's about a Mexican-American teenager who's dealing with living with a single mother and the support of his uncles around him. And he has five uncles and they're just always at his house and just like always giving him advice and always like, you know, basically uh, butting into his life. And this is a straight up sitcom. You know, it's very, very sweet. And I really dig it because um, ultimately this it's about a kid who is smarter than he actually thinks he is and is being like, um, you know, pushed to apply for colleges and go to a special pro- college program at his high school. And that's not something that really existed with his family. So it's about that drama of feeling that you're good enough to do that. And also about this very sweet, sweet family, you know, about a single mom just trying doing everything she can to like give this kid a good life. And the uncles who are very well-meaning, even though they're always like very childish and always getting into fights and stuff like there is something very loving and adorable about this. And I think it's like a straight up good sitcom. So if you miss like a good heartwarming sitcom and you want something a little different, um, Primo is definitely worth a watch. It's on Amazon freebie. All right. That's Primo. It's one thing Davinder has been watching. Jeff Kanata, what's one thing you've been watching this week? I checked out a movie on Netflix. This was recommended to me by a friend and I didn't realize that you guys had already talked about it mm-hmm. um, because the, the title is very unremarkable and unmemorable, <laughs> at least for me. Uh, it's a movie on Netflix called Carter. This is a Korean action film that is just, it, it makes RRR look like mundane, boring old action. It is, it is, uh, it is over the top. It redefines over the top. It doesn't know what over the top means, <laughs> Carter. Uh, the, the conceit. Listen, listen, this is a movie I would apply the word cartoonish to because. Yes. This is yes, a movie that gets one hundred percent. It is in a positive way, I would say. Um, yeah, it is a uh, you know we talk a lot about you know Warner movies. Uh, w- one takes like a nineteen seventeen and and Victoria and uh, some of some of my favorite movies. I just named two of my favorite movies of all time right now. Th- those last two movies are two of my favorite movies of all time. In Victoria's case, actual Warner. Like no faking, literally mm-hmm, start the mm-hmm. camera. We do everything, and then you know, two hours later, the movie's done. In- incredible feat of just logistics. And in 1970s case, it is uh, a bunch of discrete takes that are stitched together digitally and uh, artfully to make it seem like the movie is just one long take. Carter says, "Hey, I'm gonna do it." I'm going to do the big one continuous shot, but I'm not even going to pretend like we really did it. (laughs) I'm also not going to pretend like you didn't, you don't know there are edits here. I'm not even going to try to mask the edits. Really. I'm just going to make the camera move in ways a camera could never do constantly. The, this movie, I I kept thinking like the, this, the camera in this movie is like a snake. It's just constantly darting in and out around through over uh, it is unbelievable the way this camera is manic and crazy and i think probably not for everybody because it's almost nauseating at a certain point of how kinetic the camera moves are and how they're you know it'll it uses every digital trick in the book at this point in the in our year of our lord 2023 whatever <laughs> you know whatever time this movie was made it was a couple of years ago this movie came out it was last year was it last year um anyway 
every commercial you've seen where the you know time stops and the camera moves around or you know we the camera goes through a place it's not supposed to be able to go through or it you know the, uh, the our perspective radically shifts in the in the course of the thing where you have two different angles that are digitally meshed together it uses every single one Everything. of those you ever want to see two helicopters like do loop-de-loops around each other like yeah in a single do. shot where there's also a human being <laughs> holding the body it is bonkers this movie but i had a blast watching it it is uh ultra violent wild the just the inventiveness of what this human being does the, so the concept of this movie is basically you know a born movie a super spy wakes up doesn't know he's a super spy someone in his ear says you're a super spy and then the be movie begins but like also <clears throat> also halfway through I kind of don't even want to spoil it, but halfway through it becomes a completely different genre of movie. <laughs> so you've been in this like crazy action spy movie for an hour. And then the second hour is like, yeah, that's not enough. We're also going to be this kind of movie. And you go, all right, let's do it. Buckle up. Um, I had a blast with Carter. I, you know, it is not a movie for everybody. It does not attempt to, to present a version of reality that is, exists. It does not uh, pre pretend to be anything other than a balls to the wall, over the top, zany action, nonstop action. Just it, it just if you're in the mood for that and you don't care about logic or, you know, physics, <laughs> then Carter might be your movie because it's probably I, a chaser to fast 10 to be honest yeah yeah I well I think it's better than any fast movie for me because it's not trying to do it's not it doesn't have any pretense it's not trying to do anything other than be over the top action as much as possible mm -hmm. and there are some shots in it that are like that's incredible that is an incredible just idea for a thing and I, I think it keeps upping itself. It keeps upping the ante. I mean, it's almost fatiguing by the end because it's two hours. I mean, it <laughs> is two hours. That's how I felt with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I would recommend Carter for folks that love, you know, just wild, wild action movies. That you, you watch the first 15 minutes of this movie because mm -hmm. it starts with an action sequence in a bath, uh, you know, like a bathhouse. And um, there's, you know, like... 40 or 50 naked people fighting and there you go. That's the movie you're in. So if you can handle that and you're into it, you're going to have a blast with the rest of it. This movie is by the director of the villainous. And that is why I went to see it because I think the villainous was a lot of fun. At least the action parts of it, the, the melodrama sides of it. I didn't like as much, but yeah, this movie is really inventive. I just wish, um, I wish some of it looked better because I do think like it does try every technique. And a lot of those technique looks like, um, you made something in unreal engine in one day. And that is the background for, you know, this, yeah. this fight sequence or something. And that just kind of got to me after a while, but it's certainly fun and inventive. Yeah. It probably was made for a fraction of the price of Fast 10, though. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. It is amazing to think about how the Fast and Furious budgets have ballooned. The first one cost around $38 million, mm -hmm. if I recall correctly. And this one cost $340 million. So... An additional three hundred million dollars, basically. Uh, pretty, Is it on pretty the screen. Intense. You be the yeah. judge. Kind of, kind of. Uh, the villainous, a movie that we reviewed in twenty eighteen. Yeah, because Devendra wanted to. Uh, I think yeah. it was because it, it, like did Devendra win the summer movie wager? I forget. I, I forget what a, happened. I think he won the that. summer movie wager, and he forced us to watch the villainous. We reviewed it in episode four hundred fifty four. Mm -hmm. 
in and i i go back and watch the opening sequence of the villainous quite often because i think it's it's truly amazing yeah did you like carter I couldn't get past the opening scene. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Dave, get there you go. Out. I watched the opening scene. And I was like, I can't. I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do because just because it was so like um, it's manic. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I I like my fake wonders to be tasteful. You know, <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of how well, I, you know. Actually, I I kind of at a certain point I just gave up and gave in and was like, this movie isn't expecting you. To think that they did it in one, it's just I guess, it's just a I conceit. Guess. It's yeah, like it's I guess, not even pretending. Like, but I'm just like then then give then don't even do it. Then just just right. give, just give me like yeah. a regular movie. Don't don't try to fake that it's a oneer. If you're I, gonna, I, don't even mind. Yeah. I, I should be I should be actively questioning: Is that a oneer? Do my eyes deceive me? Is that a oneer the entire time? But that's I'm watching not what movies. it's trying to do. It's not trying I, to. Con- it's not trying to fool you. It's just. Trying I know, I know. to decouple I, I, the decouple the movement of the camera from anything that could happen. It's no, no, no. Like I, I, I get you... it. I get it. I get it. Uh, but I, I think I'm saying like the, I I learned from watching Carter on Netflix that that is my strong preference for Warner movies. You yeah, know what I, mean? sure. like, I get that. I, I agree with you that like that's not what it's trying to do. But I'm like, okay, well, when I'm watching, I'm like, oh, I really, I really need some Roger Deakins cinematography <laughs> for my fake Warners. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of what I, what I need. Um, but I'm really glad you had a fun time with it, Jeff Canada. That's great. I did. Um, I did. So, and people should, should check it out. Carter on Netflix is the movie. So that's one thing Jeff Canada has been watching. Um, Devendra, let's go to you again. Sure. Uh, did you have a chance to check out the Blackberry movie? I, at my, I did. You know, at partially at my recommendation. What, partially what you, your recommendation. I was yeah. also been like waiting to see this movie, and I love it. I think this movie's a freaking masterpiece. I also wrote up a review it in Gadget, so you can go hear my, you know, go see my full thoughts there. But yeah, uh, everything you said, Dave, was true. I think this is a great, a great movie, and specifically a great movie about like um, about the innovator's dilemma. And that's not something I think normal people often think about, but it is something that is often replicated in the business world, you know, especially within the technology world. And this movie does a great job of making you care and interested about the story of BlackBerry, because I think most people don't. I think most people maybe think of BlackBerry as like, oh yeah, those weird things that that existed before the iPhone. I remember that. That's it. That's the end uh, of their knowledge of BlackBerry. And I think this movie does a good job of telling that story, um, the sort of like dream of it early on and the like sheer innovation that this company certainly had and Michael Zaridis had when the co-founders as like a genius engineer and also like exactly where they failed because every every company kind of does this. You think you're so good. You think you're so smart. And then somebody comes along and does something that you're doing a little better and doing it in a way you didn't think of. And that's it. You're done. You're screwed. Uh, I think this movie is endlessly entertaining. It is one of the great guys in meetings movies, you know, like there, there's just all sorts of those. So Jeff, you really need to see this movie. Cause I, I think want will... to, I'm, I'm waiting yeah, for I the think... six days that it will take to be in <laughs> streaming. It'll, it'll be on soon, but yeah, think... also shout out to Glenn Howerton from it's always sunny, who is phenomenal, phenomenal. Just playing a, a terrifying, terrifying asshole. My, my friend having, having not seen this movie, uh, neither of us. I was in mm-hmm. a conversation with my friend this weekend and he was saying that Glenn Howerton should have been Eddie Brock in the Venom movies. Oh yeah. This like, character is basically Eddie, very, very Eddie Brock. I was like, that's kind yeah. of a brilliant casting choice. Yeah. What if, what if you took all the shouting from it's always sunny and like transformed it into an angry character from succession or something, you know, like that's basically it. amazing. But yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I think, uh, 
I, I really like the movie as well, and I think one of the most poignant aspects of it is the idea that this guy, Mike Lazaridis, created mm-hmm. this industry from nothing. You know, like, yeah, he single-handedly made this into an industry. Uh, and, and when I say this industry, I would say, like, the smartphone industry, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Like, ma- made emails on smartphone into a thing that people wanted mm-hmm. to do, right? Through, through sheer, like, engineering innovation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sheer engineering, ingenu- and, then, and then, but then to end up in a place where, hey, uh, that's not good enough anymore. Or your instincts are no longer accurate about what people mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a very poignant, it's, heartbreaking yeah fate for a character like a person like that you know i mean he, he's very rich don't, yes. don't, don't be wrong like, he's very have, rich yeah. everybody's very they all rich. have tens of millions of dollars so they're fine um yeah the uh but they're like completely irrelevant in our <laughs> you know modern society um, kind of a joke yeah, yeah the uh did you have a chance to talk with any of them i didn't get to, to talk with any of them uh, just because i, I ended up covering yeah, it kind of late but yeah you, you kind of like got into the industry like right after basically they uh they were at their height oh probably. sorry um i did talk to blackberry people in general, mm. like when yeah. I was early on doing stuff, I don't, I honestly forget because BlackBerry was such kind of an afterthought by the time I was actually writing and doing stuff. But I went to, I certainly went to dinners with BlackBerry executives and Nokia executives and was asking them at the time, like, guys, are you okay? Like, what's, uh, what's, what's your plan here? You got iPhone, you got Android, what are you doing? And pretty much all of them kept telling me, oh yeah, we'll be fine. You know, and they went from what, 20% market share in 2010 to zero in 2016. So quite the fall all right uh well blackberry is another thing davindra has been watching it's out in theaters right now uh and i wanted to mention i had a chance to check out jimmy o yang's newest comedy special called guess how much on amazon prime and uh it's a solid special you know jimmy o yang is a asian american comedian and he uh, is really making that a part of his act, you know. In the, I really liked his last one too. Uh, I think it was called Good Time, if I recall correctly. Um, but uh, yeah, this new one, uh, Good Deal, was the name of his first comedy special. It's also on Prime Video. The new one is called Guess How Much. Um, I didn't like this one quite as much as the last one, but yeah, it, there's a lot of uh, great material here, especially if you're uh, an Asian Asian American. East Asian in particular, he has like a lot of humor around that. And, you know, my parents used to own a Chinese restaurant. And in this special, he does an impression of a chef at a Chinese restaurant. And I sent, I actually like recorded it off my TV screen and sent it to my parents. And they thought it was extremely accurate. So there you go. Uh, the new Jimmy O. Yang special on Prime Video passes the Chen parents uh, test for accuracy and authenticity. And therefore, it's worth checking out. But yeah, I had a good time with it. It's called Jimmy O. Yang. Guess how much on Prime Video. One other thing I've been watching. Devendra, uh, you, you had a chance to see Mario a second time. Is that right? I went back and saw Mario because I finally convinced my daughter to go to the movie theater. And guys, this is a monumental occasion. First, Jeff, first time sure. for your daughter to go to the movie theater, right? First time. And I, I promised her popcorn. I <laughs> promised her slushies. And then she's like, oh, slushies. <laughs> they got slushies at that theater? Uh, so that, that, that was the thing. It was like a, kind of a lazy Sunday. And I told her, I was like, okay, we could get some slushies. We could get some snacks and we'll go see Mario. And we had a quick lunch and I brought her over. And she was, everything, she was just like awestruck by the entire experience. Like walking into a theater for the first time. She's like, what are all these posters for? And I was like, more movies. There's more movies out there. 
we walk in it's all neon lights and snacks and is she like her eyes are wide open we go find the theater room and she's like why are there so many rooms i'm like it's all movies movies as far (laughs) as the eyes can see and she gets in there we bring her blankie and she just sits and enjoys the hell out of the mario movie she was a little scared at first because it was a little loud um we walked in when it was already dark and uh you know it's a big picture and there's some scary parts early on in that movie too uh, but she, it, it's kind of that good scare where a kid does something new and, um, you know, they come out of it a little, a little wiser, a little stronger. And now she loves going to the movie theater. So that was a great experience. And uh, yeah, shout out to other parents out there who have not had this experience yet. It is a truly magical thing. I can't Yay. wait to, to go back and see more things with her. Yeah. Awesome. So glad to hear it, Devendra. And it, man, the artistry in that movie, by the way, like I was able to just like sit back and look at the backgrounds and other things. And there is that's a good looking movie. And talk about Neon Genesis Evangelion references like there are actually several that I was that I noticed after a certain point. Uh, one, the whole there, there's a thing with the shield and a big a big fire and Mario Luigi teaming up. That is a direct rip off of Neon Genesis Evangelion. There is a them flying down and doing a double kick on somebody literally frame by frame reference. So it is kind of funny to me too, that this kid's movie um, is, is basically uh, taking inspiration from one of the most like psychologically complex and messed up series ever made. That is also a lot of fun. You guys should watch that. All right. That is the super Mario brothers movie available right now on video on demand. It is. It is at home. But Devendra took his child to watch it in theaters, and they had a great time. I wanted to get that theatrical experience, and I think this was the perfect movie for it. So, yeah. Well, that is what we have been watching. Let's take a break, and uh, we'll be back soon with Weekly Plugs and our review of Fast 10. All right, folks, let's get to Weekly Plugs. Weekly Plugs, plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. I want to plug my TikTok. At tiktok.com slash at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky. I make new TikToks virtually every single day, including some coverage about Fast 10. And I'd recommend you check it out at tiktok.com slash at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky. Devinder Hardwar, what's your weekly plug? Sure. I wanted people to check out the latest episode in the Engadget podcast. Uh, we talked about Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which occurred last week. And we talked about how Apple, Google, and a whole bunch of other companies are highlighting accessibility, building more accessible products. Uh, Apple has this really cool simplified version of iOS that could be really useful for people with low vision or older folks who may have trouble just like dealing with complicated interfaces. So it's really cool. I think it's a worthwhile discussion. So go check out that episode of the Engadget podcast. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug? Okay, this is one that uh, I'm mentioning for the first time, but I'm you're going to hear me probably bring it up a number of times over the next few months because in August, I am going to be running from Mount Hood to the coast in Oregon. Uh, I did this last year, but this year I'm doing it as a fundraiser for Providence Cancer Institute. This is uh, raising money to uh, help uh, research into preventing prostate cancer in men. And uh, my goal is to raise twelve thousand um, dollars. Seems like a, an achievable goal to me, uh, and it is part of a larger goal for the uh, the Hood to Coast, uh, the Portland Hood to Coast Relay, to raise nine hundred thousand. So I'm trying to do my part, um, and uh, I am going to be suffering quite a lot over this. It is a uh, a forty eight hour race, man, where uh, you don't sleep. 
you get in a van with uh, five other dudes. In my case, dudes. It can be co-ed, of course. But in my case, it'll be dudes. I'm going to be running with the Eastmoreland Fathers Association. Although I'm not an Eastmoreland father. I, I am a father. And I have friends in Eastmoreland. So uh, that's where I'm going to be. And um, we are going to uh, start at, uh, uh, I believe the technical term is butt crack in the morning. Um, and uh, we will be running nonstop. Jumping out of the van, running our leg. I'll be running three legs of this race, uh, which will uh, add up to uh, well more than a than a marathon's worth, I think, or at least just maybe just short of a marathon. But it'll be a lot of miles, uh, twenty plus miles of running over three legs, and uh, I will have very little sleep and probably uh, be <laughs> ruining the day that I decided to do this again. But the good news is I will be raising money for a very, very good cause, the Providence Cancer Institute. So before I even do this race, and the, the race is in, in August, I need to raise money. And I, and I hope to hit my goal of $12,000. That's where you can help. You can go to my site. There's a link in our show notes. I got a, uh, guys, I got a vanity URL that, that they offer. Nice. But I got to be honest, it doesn't make it a lot easier to tell people. It, it, I think that somebody needs to tell Providence the purpose behind a vanity URL is that it makes it easier for wow. you to tell people the URL. Because this is the URL to donate money to this cause to help me raise $12,000. The URL is orppm.give.providence.org. <laughs> Slash Jeff Kanata. See, I got the slash Jeff ah. Kanata right there at the end. O-R-P-P-M dot give dot providence dot org slash Jeff Kanata. Yeah, Jeff, you could throw that in a link shortener in five seconds. Yeah, I know, you but it will do that it, yourself. It'll it'll be a random goofy numbers, right? Wouldn't it? No, no, well, you, you could you could, could add buy you could buy a vanity URL, you know, or use a use a redirect from jeffkanata.com/slash. Yeah, yeah, go to like yeah, that's a good jeffkanata.com/slash give, and then redirect. That's what a smart that. person would have done. Mm. Still well, can't do the technology. Still can't do arguably. Can't do that. But I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to tell people I've done that without having done it because I might be lazy and not do it by the time people hear this. <laughs> you can you can do a bitly, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> bit.ly. Come on. <laughs> I like how this Jeff raising cause for uh, money for a good cause has devolved into Devinder and I making fun of Jeff's We're terrible. We're all just trying to help Jeff get more money. That's exposing what we're doing. Jeff's uh, inadequacies uh, uh, in the in the guise of raising money for charity. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's the good news, ladies and gentlemen. As of right now, this I just put this uh, fundraising page up. You'll see my beautiful smiling face there. If you go to that, whatever URL you get to get there. You can be, if you're listening to this, you can be the first person to donate money to me. Uh, because right now there are $0 raised on my page of, of 12,000. So you could be the first one. And if you get there and you're not the first one, hey, maybe you could be the second or third or fifth. There is no amount too small. $2, $1, $5, whatever you can afford to, to toss onto the pile, it helps. And it'll keep me motivated uh, at, you know, three o'clock in the morning when I'm getting out of a van, having slept for an hour and a half and uh, need to run seven miles. So uh, please think of me at that time. P think of me in the future when I will need some motivation and throw a, a, a couple of uh, couple of coins onto the pile, please. 
Uh, so glad you're doing that, Jeff. Great cause. And yeah, uh, we will link to it in the show notes. So you actually don't need to type anything in. Just go to tap the link in the show notes. Um, that'll, that'll, that'll be our way of supporting you, Jeff. Um, and uh, of course, I always want to give a plug to patreon.com slash film podcast where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Uh, we are grateful for all the patrons that make this podcast possible. We never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Uh, but we are grateful for everyone who can donate. If you want to support us for free, it's really easy to do so. Leave a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Or here's a really new uh, fun way to support us. Instagram.com slash the filmcast pod. Follow us there. Share our reels on your stories. It's super easy to do. It gets them thousands of views. It exposes lots of new people to the podcast. Instagram.com slash the filmcast pod. We appreciate anyone who shares our stuff. We uh, it, it really helps to get the word out. Okay, let's get to our review of Fast 10. Let's start back at the beginning, shall we? Los Angeles, 2001. Humble roots, local kids, street racers who became hijackers. Graduated to high-speed smuggling. Mobile jailbreaks. Train robbers. If it could be done in a car, they did it. If it violates the laws of God and gravity, they did it twice. But the days where one man behind the wheel of a car can make a difference are over. It's time to prepare for what's coming. You might want to buckle up. Welcome to the Filmcast review of Fast 10. Joining us for this review, she is one of the preeminent fastologists on the internet. Uh, she's also a great film reporter for the LA Times and uh, a great friend. Jen Yamato, welcome back to the Filmcast. Thank you so much, fellas, for having me. Yay! Great to have you back on, Jen. Your coverage of the Fast movies, both at the LA Times and at the Filmcast, Two of the preeminent journalistic institutions of our day, obviously, uh, has been greatly appreciated. Before we dive into the Fast 10 review, let's talk about some of the drama around Fast 10. Uh, this was a movie that notoriously had a lot of behind-the-scenes drama. They were weeks into production when Justin Lin abruptly left the project uh, to be replaced by Louis Leterrier. And... Devendra, I know you had some strong thoughts on this. We're, I think we're all yeah. big fans of Justin Lin. Uh, he helped to revitalize this franchise by this directing... This would not exist without Justin Lin. Exactly. This entire franchise right now. He yeah. shepherded this franchise through many films uh, and is a very talented action filmmaker, as far mm -hmm. as I can, I can tell. And so I think many of us were really worried about what would happen to this movie, given all the, the drama... Jen, I don't know if you had any have any perspective on Justin Lin, but I, I think you're a, a big Lin fan as well in, in terms of what he's done for these films, yes? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I totally agree with Devendra. This franchise would not be on its 10th tenth, tenth <laughs> movie, 10th main series movie, 11 yeah. overall, including mm -hmm. spinoff, which we yeah. don't talk about. Never. Um, <laughs> uh, without Justin Lin coming in on Tokyo Drift, which I have been personally, you know, really heartened to see Tokyo Drift get a reappreciation in recent yes. years. Yes, yes. I, I remember seeing Tokyo Drift like on Blu-ray or something at that point. It may have even been DVD. But I was also like, wow, they did it. 
they brought Fast and Furious back. This is really cool action, actual like car car races and cool uh, physical effects. And they brought the diesel back. And that was like <laughs> mid 2000. And I was like, I would like to see Vin Diesel more things. You know, I would like I would like beyond the world of Triple X and uh, the Riddick movies. I really think we should bring back Fast and Furious. So, yeah, I feel like in a way I wish this entire franchise into existence. Like that is how much I love the diesel early on and mm-hmm. the first fast and furious and to see us reach this point i feel like this is like um jeff when we got to you know avengers endgame and everything is like this is everything you wanted yeah and this this is kind of everything i wanted except i wanted justin lynn to here mm-hmm. at the end well davindra if i recall from a recent after dark episode you your opinion of vin diesel has has fallen in recent days because he has there are reports that he is a bit of a diva, more like Vin Diva, more like if Vin that Diva makes sense, nice. on the set of his movies. Uh, apparently, he is he is not uh, behaved super professionally, according to what we've heard. But um, I uh, I made a TikTok about Fast Ten recently, and uh, I got thousands of. It was about how Fast Ten is the first of a two part series, and I got thousands of comments basically saying, actually, it's three parts now. Uh, and this is because of remarks that Vin Diesel made. Who knows? At the though. premiere yeah. of Fast Ten, where he said that actually, Fast Ten might be the first part of a three of a trilogy. Um, this has not been officially confirmed as of this recording. It might be by the time you're listening to this, it may already have been announced. But um, this is the way he he's worked. He's like, I don't know. I've been thinking about it yeah. on the toilet. Sure. Another movie, three yeah. movies. Yes, Gen-, Gen Yamato. I am curious. Uh, you uh, are familiar with Vin Diesel's history of making such pronouncements and how accurate they are. Uh, what do you think of the idea that there might be three Fast Ten movies to close out the the franchise? I have a feeling that it will really depend on how much money Fast X Ten Fast Ten makes. I always see Fast X, Fast X in my mm-hmm. head. Uh, like Devendra, you just said triple X for the the series. I always call XXX in X, my X, head. X. That is so much easier, Jen. <laughs> it's so much easier to say XXX. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think what's really interesting about Vin Diesel coming into his own as a producer in his career through the Fast and Furious movies, through the Riddick movies, is that he has, you know, fought for certain things behind the scenes, such as Michelle Rodriguez coming back to the series after being killed off. <laughs> obviously we, you know the i think fast and furious meaning fast ampersand furious meaning mm-hmm. the fourth fast Four. and furious movie yep. is another interesting turning point in terms of how this franchise evolved because it's after this point that vin who you know i wouldn't say he takes credit for it so much as michelle rodriguez really publicly gives him credit for pushing to bring her back into the franchise She's the first main character who gets killed off, who is brought back, who is who then the the narrative is molded around that decision. The the retconning begins with Tokyo Drift in a way, but also really significantly with Michelle Rodriguez coming back. And she for years has been crediting Vin Diesel with pushing for that behind the scenes. And I think now that he has only built a bigger and bigger social media following, he is also seeming seemingly use that that public um weight that public following that he has as leverage to sort of perhaps manifest the things that he wants to happen with the franchise mm-hmm. publicly first so at yeah. cinemacon I, I think it was cinemacon where he was like fast x will be the first part it's like a two-parter and everybody was like 
what? What does that mean? <laughs> now we understand kind of what he means, what he meant then. And so, like, if he is currently shepherding the future of, for example, the 11th film, which has not been started yet, or, you know, they hired two writers, one of which I'm really excited for, Christina Hodson, um, to, to write the 11th one. But in theory, if, if, you know, the future is still a little bit in progress, it's still being like charted out. I could see him having like a considerable say in what happened. So like who, maybe he'll figure out a way. I mean, the, yeah. this, the, the entire franchise is basically his, his Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Yes, like Vin Diesel is, has makes... always treated this franchise like a major campaign and like, yeah, other people write it, but we all know he's in there like every day twiddling with the script and like doing stuff. There have been reports of that. That is like why Justin Lin basically gave up. It's like Vin Diesel, what are you doing to this movie that I've planned so much for? Um, I do want to say this series is very important to me um, because Guys, like this, this is like the big thing that proved like you can have diverse cinema and have it be a global blockbuster and have like a varied cast of all sorts of people have a movie that has subtitles, but people won't be afraid of it. Like, I think the good Vizel, uh, Vin Diesel has done with the Vizel. I think Vizel <laughs> has outweighed like whatever he turned into. So I do want to celebrate mm. that at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think for me, uh, I agree. Like, uh, Fast Five in particular you yes. know, was a massive hit, showed you could have a global blockbuster that had a diverse cast, and um, and that's awesome. Like, no, no question about that. I think what really grinds my gears uh, when it comes to Vin Diesel is all this, like, talk both publicly and in the movies about family when, in fact, like, we know that there has been... Uh, at the very least, some manipulations, if not outright backstabbing <laughs> going on uh, behind the scenes. That sounds and like a family to me. That sounds like a family, yeah. <laughs> no, I said it was a functional not. family. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't like when people front one thing and then it's a whole different thing behind the scenes. Anyway, uh, all I, that said, yeah. I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping we get to a, a trilogy uh, of these movies just so we can get the fun uh, Fast Dozen movie. Or, yes. or you know, or I even, would even prefer... Fast Midnight. Twelve. <laughs> it's like okay. on a clock. That's you know? a that's a big yeah. leap, Jeff. Fast wow. Midnight. <laughs> so Our, the title would be Fast plus a clock right at twelve. Yeah. And every time you say you have to stop. Now look at the clock. <laughs> what numbers are the clock at? Fast twelve. Fast I midnight. am I am one hundred percent pulling for the next movie to be called Fast Ten Part Two. Uh, mm -hmm. which would fit in line with the chaotic naming convention of this. No, absolutely. Um, or Fast 10-2, yeah, like yeah. Final Fantasy X, <laughs> yeah. Final Fantasy X-2, basically. Like a, a so. Dead Reckoning Part 2 type situation. Yes. Okay. No, oh, they, so what they would need to do is 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 do Fast X and then a 2. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're mixing our numerals now yes, even. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so all that's just preamble for the movie itself. So, you know, a, a rich history of these Fast movies. Uh, that is covered in the movie itself, uh, where they they started with uh, jacking uh, DVD VCR combos, and now they're uh, amazing they're stopping international terrorists. But Jen Yamato, all that stuff. Being, sorry, you're about to, Jen was about to take a swig of her coffee. Jen Yamato, all that being said, I am curious what your overall thoughts were on Fast Ten. Ooh, what a big, big question, Dave. Mm -hmm. I, <laughs> I think. For me, you know, it's like we were talking so much about Tokyo Drift in the, the middle era of this franchise being like a real highlight 
informative, like really significant pivotal era of this franchise, which is now 22 years old. And it's almost like we've known for several movies now that, that it's just been like raising stakes higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher, packing more in to me personally, it's a little bit much. (laughs) And this is one thing I think that has helped me sort of reckon with the way that these movies have evolved to this point is I grew up watching soap operas, but like the crazy soap operas, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. days of our lives when they were burying women alive and, um, (laughs) and like Marlena was possessed by the devil. This is a real high point in my life as a consumer of narrative storytelling. And after days of our lives came passions, the little known underappreciated passions, which was like really way out there for soaps. And so for me, this is the closest that I've come to finding another soap opera to watch and to, to in, in my film or television entertainment. Uh, so I find that a really interesting thing. It's like these movies have really leaned into <laughs> just go with it. It's another <laughs> it's another sibling, you know, that has existed this whole time, but we just haven't told you about you know things like that or uh right. i don't know nobody's been possessed by the devil yet but mm-hmm. could that happen i don't know who knows I, I will say i think fast 10 is probably the most grounded out of the last three movies um there's no there's no nuclear submarine there's no uh cars going into space uh that are major parts of the plot you know so this is true you know yes. uh but but it's not grounded by that much there's still uh, so, a submarine, you know, yeah, the, yeah. thermonuclear bomb that's shaped like a hamster ball. <laughs> grounded. Um, yeah, grounded. super grounded. It, it, literally, literally grounded, Jeff. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's a little bit much, but but Jen is loving the soap opera elements. Divinger Hardwar, curious, what did you think of Fast Head? I think my main takeaway is that this is not a great Fast and Furious movie. But for me, it was a great time at the movies. <laughs> and I think that's that's kind of where it is. Like there, there are movies in this franchise I don't really like very much. Like Too Fast Too Furious. I'm sorry. <gasps> I, I got no love for you. Oh, I got no oh love no. for Too Fast Here Too Furious. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm fighting words. But listen, you could you can pick and choose. There's so many movies. You can pick and choose, have you have your own thing, whatever. Um there are some that you know I probably won't want to revisit too much too. Like I think Fast and Furious, um, I remember reviewing that. I think we reviewed it together. There, the ambition of that movie just didn't work with like the special effects and stuff. And then it took till Fast Five for Justin Lin to like get the big budget and do what he needed to do. I think this one sits firmly like in the middle of the series for me. And I'll have to say, like, I I just had a lot of fun with it. And I think the big set pieces are genuinely fun and entertaining. Um, there, there's a big chase through Rome pretty much early on in the movie. And I actually just started rewatching Fast Nine because my wife hadn't seen it. And I kind I like that more than like the forest stuff in Fast Nine and like the stuff that really gets gets that movie going. So I I like the action here. Like I think it's fun. It's not as like tight or as like technically competent as it is with Justin Lin's movies. But I think Louis Leterrier can make a good action movie. Um, like Jen, you had that bit in your story. Like him and Jason Statham, basically what watching the first Fast and Furious while making the transporter. 
a movie that is also has some really good car action, you know, and he did that whole series. There's actually a nice nod to the transporter, I think, towards the end of this movie. I'll talk about that in spoilers, but that was fun to see. Um, I think the action is fun. I think, yeah, the series is going full soap opera. And part of the fun of it is getting like really macho guys and people who don't normally like associate themselves with soap operas being like really into the drama of this. So I, I cackle at that. And I think the the sort of like D&D element, the sort of like this is Vin Diesel's like incredible action movie campaign. And he's just like adding more pieces to the puzzle and making it crazier and crazier. I think all that is really entertaining. So I was entertained throughout this movie. It is also fully self-aware of how ridiculous it is and how like how did these DVD boosters are now like special agents? And an agency calls them for help. And we see more of the agency here, too. And I'm like, I, I don't even know what's up with that organization. So it's it's I'm, a lot of fun. I'm really yeah. glad you hear, in, you hear in the trailer, like, they yeah. summarize, you know, the whole history of these people. And I'm, I'm really glad they did that in the movie itself. Because otherwise, yeah. you would think that they're completely unaware of how ridiculous this whole thing is. But it is uh, very but, much um, Alec Baldwin and Ghost Protocol, right? Or whichever movie. Like, Ethan Hunt, like, is the manifestation of destiny, yeah. basically. Like, <laughs> having both of these movie series together, just giving us ridiculous action. And yeah, there's a lot of CG, but there's also a lot of great practical stuff here, too. I, like, I I'm I think this is a bounty. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to reject this. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I have problems with the ending. And we'll, we'll talk about that, for yeah. sure. All right. Uh, Jeff Kanata, I want to start by saying thanks for watching this movie with us, Jeff. Because <laughs> I, yeah. I know it's not Jeff's favorite franchise. It is not. But it Jeff, not. what did you think about Fast 10? Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I thought of Fast 10 is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Hmm. Okay. I don't want to be a provoker. But the fast films have been mediocre. <laughs> to revitalize this hero franchise, try a villain that acts like the Joker. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. I actually had a blast with this movie. Whoa. Woo! It's my favorite fast <laughs> franchise movie. I'm going to say all, that. Out of all of them. Out of all of them. Out of all of them. It's my park favorite. That, park and that. the reason <laughs> yeah. is Jason Momoa. A hundred percent because they got smart and they realized we can't have a villain that outgrunts Vin Diesel. We've been trying that over and over and over. Who is more masculine grunter? Uh, I'll grunt you harder than you. Uh, no, I'll grunt harder than around, you. Jeff. Uh, Jeff, Cypher. Cypher has been a major villain for a while. Still is. And Still grunting. Is. She grunts. She's a grunter. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. saying Jason okay. Momoa came in and went, I'm going to be fabulous. I'm going to be the Joker. I'm going to just be chaotic and wacky and goofball and have fun in this goofy, silly franchise. And you know what? It made me have fun. I... I enjoyed, there are large swaths of this movie where there's no Momoa and the movie grinds to a halt, in my opinion. <laughs> Needs Mo uh, Momoa. Yeah, Momoa Mo is Momoa. the fun of this movie. And I agree that the action sequences, for the most part, are pretty fun. I mean, we're still in a world where <laughs> there's literally a moment toward the end. This, this isn't a spoiler, I don't think. There's literally a moment toward the end where Vin Diesel like wills his car not to get lifted off the ground. Like, 
he just, just because he's driving it, he decides the car can't get lifted off the ground. Yeah. And it's like, what? What is that? He's so good at driving, you guys. So good at driving that he can force his car not to be lifted off the ground. Um, and, we're, you know, it, a car operates a, a crane in this movie. You know, a car. Uh, there's a lot of things a car does in this movie that a car shouldn't do. And that's always been the goofy fun of the later fast movies is is like, what if an action sequence, but car, you know, like normal action (laughs) sequence where a human would do that, but we'll figure out a way for a car to do it. You know, a human being could jump between two buildings. No, no, no. Car leaps between two. (laughs) You know, Um, so there if you're into that kind of fun, there's plenty of that to be had here. I think the action sequences are 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 thrilling and and. Um, for the most part, great. There's a there's a few hand to hand ones. There's a Michelle Rodriguez hand to hand sequence that's re- I thought pretty darn fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the movie is overlong. It's bloated. It has at this point way too many characters, and it struggles really hard to figure out reasons for these people to be here at all. You know, uh, <laughs> there's like John Cena is like off in his own movie. He's like doing his own movie for the whole. <laughs> there are like, three separate movies. John happening. Cena's movie for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and th- so the movie's bloated and, and just like the whole weight of the franchise is, is crippling it. But you know, I've said many times before, this is the meathead comic book movie. These are meathead superheroes, right? Like their superpower is they're good at cars and you have, uh, you have, for a while now, this franchise fully embracing the tropes of a superhero team movie. I mean, the fran- the Fast franchise is basically just v- Avengers movies. Like, what if we just had only Avengers movies yes. and no yeah. individual only movies? Only the highlights. Only the yeah. highlights. It's, yeah. only the, it's only the team-ups. Um, and I think they were smart in going, okay, let's create, let's take literally a example from a great superhero villain and just do our ver- it's the meathead joker we have meathead joker in this movie and he behaves exactly like the joker would like oh you're super your your, your weakness is your love <laughs> and i will force you to make decisions about who you love more it's it's the joker it's straight up um, but the joker meets Jack Sparrow. To be to be perfectly clear, like it I don't is, know. I it mean, is. I think Jack Sparrow is the Joker. You know, I think Jack Sparrow <laughs> stole more from the Joker than vice that versa. That was pre. That was pre the Joker. Yeah, pre well, the Joker, pre. But, yeah, yeah. I, pre Jack Nicholson? No, it's not. No, well, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, pre Heath Ledger of the Joker. We were talking which is, about which, yeah, is, which yeah. is, I think, the heaviest different. inspiration for this. Yeah, this pre nineteen sixty. Who was that guy? Uh, he was pretty wacky too. Um, mm-hmm. Cesar Romero. Yes. Yes, yes. yes. Thank sorry. you. Um, anyway, I actually like the movie is not good, but it, there's enough. What is good? You know. <laughs> I mean, I guess <laughs> that's an existential question. <laughs> <laughs> not this. Yeah. I know what's what's not good. <laughs> Um, but I honestly, like, this is the one I least groaned at because it, it was, it just completely jumped in with both feet into, into silliness. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a, it's the most high budget B movie that exists. Right. And I, I had a good time. I had a good time. And, And it's Jason Momoa. I didn't have to watch, you know, the final standoff between the two grunting Gruntersons grunting at each other while Vin Diesel triumphs, right? 
what I got instead was a much more much more varied levels of thing. You know, I'm grunting Vin Diesel against <laughs> that guy, you know, and I think that's just more fun. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, agreed completely with everything you said about Jason Momoa. Uh, he's a delight in this movie. Jen Yamato, any thoughts on Jason Momoa? Did you like what he added to the franchise? Oh, yeah. I think he brings such a good energy shift and you need that because we know for sure by now Vin Diesel's Dominic Toretto is going to be the the very grave center of the fast yes. universe he like he will not deviate from the tone that he's established dominic toretto from which means that everybody else around him has like it's left to everybody else to balance that out yeah. so jeff i totally agree with you that that contrast between their energies yeah uh really does like keep it entertaining and i also feel like you know momoa is going off and seeming to have a lot of fun with this he's probably just like some scenes i'm like oh does he just like throw out some like ad libs and they just <laughs> yeah well it's funny because you know you go i thought they cast jason momoa right they cast the next big hulking stud ripped action star they cast aquaman they cast the brooding they you know, they, they got to find the next one. They tried John Cena. They tried The Rock. They tried all these guys. You know, they, they've got to find the next one. And then Momoa shows up and it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing it. I don't know where in the process they found the character he played. I don't know how much of it is him and how much of it was in the script and all that stuff. But whatever the case, I love that my expectation was, oh, they found the next big, monstrous, strong man to, to put up against Vin Diesel. And what instead they got we got was was you know playing against that type and cuz they could have cast like you know Sam Rockwell or some like somebody that you knew <laughs> going in was going to bring a weird energy to it um but i love that momoa we haven't i haven't really seen him be that goofy and stuff before i want to yeah. ask you guys i have a question about what your take on momoa's performance uh is do you feel like momoa's dante is a queer coded villain I, I was kind of feeling so. that. And I, yeah. I will also say, I, I almost wonder if like, is that, is that okay? What you're yeah. doing? Because, because this is the big, like hyper-masculine franchise and the villain is basically this queer coded dude. I'm like, okay, that, that's a little weird. He's having fun. I think everybody's taking it in a fun way. So it is worth having that discussion. Also, part of me was thinking, listen, I'm sure everyone's going to talk about, oh, how energetic Jason Momoa is. But I, I'm looking at this. And I'm seeing Jack Sparrow and I'm seeing Heath Ledger's Joker mm. and I'm seeing like a big mixture between them. Like it's not as original as I would have liked it to be. Mm. That's the thing, because if you're going to pretend to be the Joker, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I always planned for you to be here. You fell right into my trap. <laughs> Literally nothing. Very little actually like falls to his plans or anything. It's, it's all just coincidence. So, well, the, yeah. the other is similar. I think you guys are even underselling how similar he is to Heath Ledger's yeah, Joker yeah, in the yeah. sense that both Joker in Dark Knight and also Jason Momoa's character in this movie appear to have virtually unlimited resources and time. Like, yeah. They, yeah, have, yeah. they have like access to helicopters and bombs and, you know, uh, they just like literally scores are, of people willing to do whatever they want for them. Yes, yeah. precisely. Precisely. Um, I don't understand also how in the in the fiction of this movie, he's been planning this and watching yeah, uh, Dominic yeah. Toretto for years and watching other people almost kill him <laughs> you know, for many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Don't think too hard. This is a not yeah. think too hard movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll share a few thoughts, and then let's get to some spoilers. Uh, I will say that I'm pretty torn on this movie, guys. Pretty torn on this movie. Because on the one hand, I was expecting it to be kind of a disaster. It's really rough when a director gets replaced um, you know, halfway through or a third of the way through, however long the way through they were filming. Uh, most of the time that happens, it goes badly. I'll just list a couple of examples from recent memory. Um, Justice League. Right, that's mm-hmm. a really notorious example. Um, I think that movie was like mostly done when Joss Whedon came aboard, if I recall correctly. Um, Han Solo, yeah, Solo. That was the other one I was going to bring yeah. up. Was Solo with uh, Lord and Miller were directing that one? And they got replaced by Ron Howard, and it's like um, those movies feel like shells of their former self. Uh, whatever you can say about Fast Ten, like I, I was expecting it to be like kind of yes. uh, catastrophic. I yeah. don't think it was. I think it yeah, was. Yeah. It, it was very in line in terms of competence and coherence with yeah. other fast, fast. You would never movies. be able to detect yeah. any of the drama if you exactly. hadn't known it going in. Precisely yes. correct. Precisely correct. So on that level, I think it is a success. Okay. Um, but I will tell you, I had a very weird experience watching this movie. Uh, <laughs> my wife literally was like in a catatonic state or not literally, <laughs> but like metaphorically was in a catatonic state afterwards because she was like, it, it, it the movie made her question why she found other Fast and Furious movies good. Oh, <laughs> no. yeah. Because, yeah. because no, here's the thing about... Because of how good it was and how it dwarfed <laughs> the other movies? It, it's like, what even is a Fast and Furious movie at this point? It's like, this movie, I'll say, feels much more listless than other Fast yes. and Furious movies. It's yeah. weird for me to complain... I disagree. ...that, that there's no MacGuffin... The, the MacGuffin wasn't good enough. I mean, in this case, the MacGuffin was the kid. It was Vin Diesel's mm-hmm. child. Yeah. Like, in it was other already movies, a MacGuffin at one point. Yeah, say what so. you will about the MacGuffins of previous Fast and Furious movies. At least they're an ethos. You know, like, at least there were MacGuffins. I did, well, what, I did. Um, what are you talking no. about? The whole the whole <laughs> franchise is about hashtag family. Yes. What better MacGuffin is literally his blood? Like, mm-hmm. <sighs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, there's this parade of cameos that are like so many characters just just absolutely did not too many characters, <laughs> right? Too many they characters. Just, they yeah. add nothing. But the to, good news like, is, good news is, from my perspective, who like there are scores of characters from these franchises that I just every second they're on screen, I'm just is is uh, exhausting. Almost nobody is on screen very much. Yeah. You know? There's <laughs> not time for anybody. I, I will tell you guys. If you can biggest, handle Vin yeah. Diesel, and then you get a whole bunch of Jason Momoa, and then everybody else is just a smattering. That's and I can weird. handle smatterings of people I don't like. And occasionally you, you cut to Charlize Theron and Michelle Rodriguez together. Like, it, it, is, it is separate movies. My one big takeaway, though, is we are 10 movies into this franchise. Diesel and crew, you know, Toretto and crew have been doing this for 20 years. They're inter- they have international enemies like they they're nation states they're against these people he lives in a house in la there's no safe room no safe, no, no panic room no panic, no panic room, room no nothing sick, uh, sick barbecue though they got a sick barbecue yeah. never really upgraded that barbecue because there are certainly better ones he could get these days but you, you, you have you know. rita moreno in this movie saying nothing of substance at all like just <laughs> just being there, like just like, hey, uh, you, you've you've impressed upon the world the the values of this family. What value? What value? <laughs> do, we miss, do we miss values at some point? Barbecue. <laughs> no. The point of that scene is, isn't it cool that Rita Moreno is in this movie? The, the Rita Moreno. And it, I mean, I am so curious about Brie Larson's involvement in this movie. It's like, sure. this woman 
has her own franchise. Yeah. Has has an academy She's award. She's already a superhero. It's yeah. like, hey, do you want to be tenth build in the? <laughs> She's an and dude. She's an and. She's one yeah. of the like four and people. Yeah. You know, and that those ands don't come cheap. Those are expensive ands. I think that is the power of of the diesel. You know, like he, yeah. he can collect people like Pokemon. Oh, you're fun. <laughs> I want you in. Like Brie Larson. I feel like uh, the MCU is not highlighting you enough. Come to my franchise. Yeah. Wait, and so, uh, so did, this, yeah. is, is Kurt Russell dead in the in the franchise? No, he's no, not yeah, so missing. I didn't think yeah. so. So I thought that the reason Brie Larson is in it is because Kurt Russell said no, right? Mm. He said no, and they needed someone of equal stature to stand in. <laughs> she does nothing that Kurt Russell wouldn't have done. They just couldn't get Kurt Russell, so they didn't I, get his. You could have ended that movies. sentence before the words that Kurt Russell couldn't have done, and just said she does nothing. <laughs> she, does, think, she definitely uh, does nothing. Going back to the idea of Vin sort of manifesting what he wants for this franchise, mm-hmm. a couple years ago he announced on his Instagram that they were developing an all a, a female led, a female protagonist led yes, spinoff. Yeah. Uh, this is not something that Universal has actually officially. Con- uh, greenlit or confirmed yeah. and i know like i spoke with jordana brewster for for this movie and she brought it up that's something that she really would like to have see happen because i mean as we see in fast x 10 god fast 10 fast she 10. like she has like one scene it's really hard for even a core member of the franchise who's been there since literally the first movie to get a significant amount of screen time or an arc um and Arcs. You know, There's I, no such thing in this movie. <laughs> well, so my my They've grown. thought is They've like, all grown. Yeah. You know, they brought Charlize Theron in to be the big bad in Fast Eight. They uh have brought her back. They could have just been like, okay, bye. She was the big villain in eight, and now you know that's in the past. But they're bringing in so many familiar faces from the entire franchise, and I think one of the promises of that is that if Charlize Theron can come back into the fold much like Jason Statham did. Jason Statham got his own spin-off. Maybe it's a Charlize Theron, Brie Larson sort of star power that is mm. big enough to to can to to to, the, to have the argument that you can sustain a female spin-off mm. with enough box office power. Yeah. So I don't, know. I don't know why either of those two want that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, mean, I don't understand. Also, she, she's not part of the family, as this movie makes very clear. Like, there's no, they can't, they can dismiss what a lot of other people have done. And even the Jason Statham thing they had to work on, she killed the mother of Dom's child. Or, or did the, she? I mean, mother. I don't know. But <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a good question, Jen. Um, uh, one last yeah, thing sometimes. before we get to spoilers, which is just that uh, it is. It has become increasingly sweaty the ways in which they deal with Paul Walker's character of Brian O'Connor in these movies. Yeah, I rewatched. He's just over there. He's, he's over there. there. He's, 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 he's not he's here right now. I he's rewatched fine. the ending of uh, Furious Seven. It is, and by the way, I just want to say, but like, not a fan of how you guys are playing fast and loose with the titles, like Fast Eight, Fast Nine. It's Fate of the Furious and F9, the Fast Saga. Okay, let's just be clear, okay? Um, David is nothing if not pedantic. (laughs) Furious 7, I watched the ending. It's uh, like, it made me cry again. It's it's such a beautifully done 
ending like but the it only way the works car- if that's the last movie of the franchise exactly it doesn't right. work if you've got more installments and he's still just not or not there today if, if, if think can you imagine if they'd ended the franchise there that would have been like oh my what like legendarily amazing ending for a franchise is like um with the the music see you again and the cars driving off into the distance with the sun lens flaring but you hear again you hear yeah. the mm-hmm. see you again motif how in dare the past they 10. i know how dare they? <laughs> it's so how pathetic that it's a, a motif now it's like it's it, it's so weird it's such a weird <laughs> artifice that the characters in the movie have been hanging out with him. He's he's just over, he just couldn't show up today. He's busy. But in the, but the coding of the movie is like, isn't it sad that the real actor died? Like, the, I mean, I don't want to make light of a, yeah, a, a real yeah. tragedy, which it is. But it's really weird that the movie is like plays a little tune that's like. It's super sad. We're talking about him, but the mo- in the context of the movie, no one's sad because nothing bad happened to him. It's it's very weird. Uh, I like uh, this tweet from Heads Fall Off on Twitter, who says like, you know, Letty in the movie saying, "Dom, if we don't do something now, then the street racing terrorists are going to bring down the satellites and knock out the entire Eastern Seaboard. We need to call in every favor we've got, Brian." At home watching Succession. <laughs> I mean, technically, Brian is at home watching the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, good dad. Good dad. And uh, Brian and me I've been there, kids man. I've are by now. There. I think they would be teenagers. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. have one boy and one girl. Guess which one doesn't have a officially have a name? Oh, it's the girl. Mm-hmm. They're gonna. If this thing keeps going, there. there there's going to be an AI Paul Walker. Like in one of the well, okay. So, so what yeah. we? What I'm we, just saying, I I've been in that situation where all my friends are out saving the world. And <laughs> I got to be home with the kids. That happens to me. I'm sure it happens every to you, weekend. Devendra. Every weekend. Yeah. What yeah. we what we know is that uh, Vin Diesel has said it would be hard. I think I'm paraphrasing, but he said it would be hard to imagine closing out the franchise without saying goodbye to Brian O'Connor. So I do think we haven't heard the last of like how that plot line is going to be yeah. resolved. Uh, mm-hmm. And I imagine they're going to kill the character off somehow in, in, in the show. Or they, uh, in, they, in they the don't movie. have to, they could just do the AI bring back and Paul Walker's brother, like helped film some of those scenes yeah. in, in seven. So they could just do that. I, okay. Look, yeah. I, I feel personally, like I don't need them to push mm-hmm. it and like find a way to do something that seems ghoulish. I'm okay with the tension of knowing that he's gone in real life. And having that yep. character still be off in the distance in but, in the movies, I'm fine with that. You know, I and yeah. I I also think it's such an impossible position for anybody to be in who's related to like who's actually dictating the future of that franchise. Like, how do you know what the right thing is to do? I'm not sure. I don't personally think it's AI, but I'm okay. Like, I don't need total. You know. I don't need total immersion in the in the reality of this universe. Some people do. Some people, some pe- do. yeah. Some people. You're looking at her. You're yeah. looking at him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that uh, I, I would agree with you if the plot wasn't so ridiculous. The problem is they need they want Jordana Brewster in the movie, um, but it doesn't make sense to have Jordana in the movie and not Paul Walker's character in the movie, and especially in this movie. It doesn't yeah. make any sense because well, also, yeah. it doesn't make sense just to have one person taking care of the kid when the kid is your biggest weakness. And there's like this <laughs> yeah. impossible force yeah, that's written to destroy exa- your yeah. home. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's a, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. That's, that's yeah. the thing. It's the like the kid over to Brian's house. That's what he was <laughs> yes, doing. That would that's guarantee true. their safety. Okay. Anyway, but I think um, maybe like, you know, having the kid being little, little Brian, 
who's uh, Dom's <laughs> kid, being watched at home by his aunt slash his uncle, his newly rediscovered <laughs> uncle. <laughs> that to me falls in line with like Dom Toretto might be like, you know, the center of this hashtag family, but that doesn't mean he's good at like planning or, you know, anticipating yeah. potential future attacks. This is a by... real Dick Sully situation over here. Yeah, <laughs> this, this you're right. The fast head is a commentary on Dom's lack of logistical skills. No, um, by, by this point, <laughs> I'm sure he thinks every time he's done with a mission, you know what this everything's gonna be calm it's now. Fine. It's fine. You know? I rebuilt it. They blew up this house, rebuilt it fully, fully. Yeah. And who you know, same, who same blew things. up the house? It was Jason Statham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh yeah. I, I I can't imagine they're not thinking somewhere in the back of their heads that there's going to be a version of these fast movies starring the sun, right? Like that, the next generation of. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's going to be a next generation. Yeah. Has anybody watched the animated series? No, I refuse. It's, Didn't know that existed. <laughs> there's a Netflix animated series that I believe is over. It was from like a, a few years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, it's centered around a nephew, a Toronto nephew, and his like teenage street racing crew getting into international intrigue. <laughs> That's funny. Were you, you, you always fan? start with the street racing. Were you a fan of Genyamato? Yeah. I, 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 did, I don't think it was for me, so I didn't really watch them. Too much. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so anyway, overall, I, I thought it was... I think I agree with you, Devendra. I think it's like mid-tier. Yeah. Uh, of all the movies, I put it somewhere in the middle. It's not the worst. Uh, certainly not the best. And I think I really f- was taxed by this movie, I would say. I, I, I <laughs> taxed? Quite ta- I found it Exhausted. quite taxing. Yeah, exhausted. I, I was exhausted yeah. by this movie in a way that I didn't feel for the, some of the previous movies. So, like spiritually, uh, yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> it was kind of a it was kind of a Suicide Squad situation where it's like they caused the problem that they're trying to solve. Anyway, yeah. All right, folks, let's get to spoilers for Fast Ten starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth! Inconceivable! I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. All right, let's talk about spoilers for Fast 10. So, uh, some pretty big reveals towards the end of the movie. But the, the first, the biggest thing I want to say, and you know, uh-huh. I should have covered this in the pre-spoiler is Fast 10 is half a movie, guys. It's we, half we a knew, movie. We knew. It just doesn't have part one in there. But yeah. Which by the way is like the, what I understand to be, there's going to be at least three major big budget blockbusters this summer mm-hmm. that are, that will end abruptly like this. Of which this is one. <laughs> this I think, really bothers you. Yeah. It does bother Has me. this well, bothered you before with other franchises? I, I'm only bothered if it's not made clear to the like. Uh-huh. So Dead Reckoning Part One, that's fine. Like they. What about Dune? Dune, I'm a little bothered by because it wasn't in the marketing. But then when you sit down in the theater, it says Dune Part One on the title. We screen. also we also did you not know? know if there was another Dune coming. Yeah, we so that was a big gamble. <laughs> it was yeah. a big big gamble. But it said Dune Part One mm-hmm. in the movie, so that that was fine. Breaking um, Dawn Dave, Part One. Dave hates The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> it's his least favorite Star Wars movie. I mean, I don't it believe... It just ends abruptly. They're all standing there. What? Where's Han? What's going on? I, I think you're right, Dave, though, because like it was not made explicit anywhere in the materials, the marketing. And 
I don't know if it would change people's minds about the urgency of going to see it. <laughs> right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's it's half a movie. I, I was bothered. <laughs> Clearly, a lot of people are not. Uh, like Jeff Kanata, I can tell. <laughs> doesn't it, it truly doesn't bother me. If it, like, it was what weird. I was looking for was closure out of this movie, I, I feel like you're in the wrong franchise. Mm. I was reminded of the end of like The Matrix Reloaded, right? Where And you knew yes. there's another movie coming soon, yes. but this one ended right there. And I had the, okay, six months from now, I'm going to get to see the end of this right. story. That's completely this, completely yeah. acceptable, in my opinion. Yeah. Like we know, But here it's like, this is going to be years before yeah. we get to the end of this movie, right? So yeah. um, anyway. Uh, it bothered I, I me. It bothered me. Some people. That's uh, not, not the thing that bothered me about this okay. movie. <laughs> All right. So, uh, de- death has no meaning in this universe. Death has no meaning. We, we already knew that, but like, I don't think we knew the extent to which it had no meaning. There has to. Well, so there is a death in this movie, and I think John Cena's character. I'm sure, they could bring him back, but it it does feel like that is he sacrificed himself <sighs> for the goal, and I don't even know why that sacrifice happened because it it, it seemed like. It was. We've seen <laughs> Dom Toretto drive through more difficult things than a bunch of cars coming towards him. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. his brother's like, oh, "I gotta kill myself. I'm sorry. That's the only way this happens." So I don't believe that, but that seems like a legit death. And then to have well, not only that, yeah. but apparently the whole uh, Natalie Emmanuel crew crashing in the plane. You know, I I don't know. I don't think those guys are gonna make it out of there. That looked like a pretty definitive plane crash, guys. That, that, that. Well, we didn't see the plane crash. We only <laughs> we saw an explosion the plane behind a mountain. Yes, mm, yeah, maybe a lot they, we didn't they see. Faked, they faked it. They're fakers. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, then at the so th- they blow up this dam, which by the way I believe is located in Portugal, uh, a real life dam located in Portugal, um, and then the pl- the Natalie Emanuel plane crashes, and that's that's bad for them. We find out Jack Reacher is actually. On the enemy side, <laughs> big shock. And well, the uh, one thing that I thought was cool about that is the the notion that uh, I think Momoa brings up is like you always feel like you can just turn people into your allies. Yeah, right, so, that was nice. Yeah. We literally just planted a dude that you assumed was going to be like everybody else who just thinks you're so cool <laughs> that he wants to work with you instead of against you. I well, thought the, that was that was neat. The John Cena example being the primary example because wasn't mm-hmm. he the antagonist yes. of F Night? Right, so it's like also, the this is a completely different person. Yeah, this, right. Cena, Charlize, like that's the mo of everybody right. gets folded into the good guy team. So I, Brian, I, I was like, technically I was like, Brian, too, Brian in the first yeah. movie. Yeah, and it's like here's an, here's yet another example of this tired trope. But I did I, I agree with you, Jeff. I did like that they kind of reversed it. It's like, yeah, aha, he's actually bad. It's like, yeah, that was. I, nice. I thought that was actually kind of cool. Yeah, that was nice. Okay, uh, but then two major reveals happen. You know, <laughs> at the end of the movie, uh, Gal Gadot shows up in a submarine <laughs> near where near where Michelle Rodriguez and Charlize Theron are. Yeah, and uh, and then in because she figured out where they are sure. and knew they were in danger and Le- went left there? the love of her life stringing along, just nursing her loss for years. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- this is I'm not joking. This is actually kind of a legit bummer to me because yeah, Han's loss of uh, that character was is one of the more poignant elements of the series. I remember Absolutely. in yeah. in that freeway chase too, like I was in a critic's audience and people screamed when she when she like died. Like it, yeah. it hit the audience too. So I'm like, I don't yeah, know. Jenny Mato, what are your what are your thoughts on Gal Gadot's return to the franchise? Okay, so I had to save all of this for the spoiler chat yes. because everything that upsets me about this movie from a from my fan perspective is a spoiler. Is the big <laughs> the big big swings. Uh, Gal Coming back as Giselle, 
It's like, hasn't Han been through enough? But maybe let it's her man, twin sister. Let the man be on the dating <laughs> yes, apps already. Yes. He's moving on with his life. Uh, for me, maybe it's not her. Maybe it's her twin sister. We don't know. Well, that's true because we are in soap opera rules. Now. Yes, it could be a doppelganger. It could yes. be a twin. It could be a clone. Could if a clone. we remember could the sci-fi, we had took yeah. a sci-fi detour in Hobbs and Shaw, which nobody ever addressed no. after that ever again. I thought we said never to like say the title of that movie on this on a Fast and Furious. Uh, There's like nanobot technology. Dude, that's what I thought. That scene. That scene when uh, Michelle Rodriguez wakes up next to Charlize and. Yeah. There's that oh, robot arm. I'm I like, thought it was gonna be brain oh, swapping. Shit. We're yeah. face off. We're face offing. <laughs> it's for swapping faces. I was like, oh hell yeah. That would have been hell sick. Yeah. Yes. So, but you know, Giselle showing up was kind of also a bummer to me because, like David, you said it kind of. I can accept one, maybe two returns from the death from yep. the grave, uh, if there's a really, really good reason to bring that character back, but. Giselle's death gave so much meaning to death in the canon of the of this universe because uh first of all what a great mo what a great scene in Fast and Furious 6 on the runway all these things going on Han the la we see Han's face as he literally watches her fall <laughs> from the what is a Range Rover being hoisted into the sky by an airplane anywho we like literally see the grief on Han's face of literally watching the love of his life perish beneath him. He grieves so, so much that he moves to Japan. <laughs> he moves to Japan and like has an existential like Tokyo walkabout that results in the events of Tokyo Drift in which he perishes. It's like all of the meaningful like melodrama and the, the, the weight of these these personal connections, these relationships have meaning because of mm -hmm. this loss that he the the, the despair was so <gasps> strong, Jen, that it went back in time and you know hit the third movie from the sixth movie. That's how that's how powerful it is. <laughs> deeply guys, meaningful. It is yeah. meaningful guys, that she is dead. You guys are losing sight of the fact that they've already made all the money they can make on those movies. They've got new <laughs> movies to make money on. Yes, the, and now she's the, Wonder Woman, you know? The, uh, got... Yes, she's so much more high profile now. Yeah. The, it is 100% soap opera logic, or I would, my wheelhouse is, it's it's um, professional wrestling logic, Yeah, right? Yeah. We have a heel turn because we need the pop from the heel turn. And then we can make them a, a, a good guy again at the, it doesn't, ma none of it matters. All that matters is the pop in the moment. The thing that matters is that when that sub, sub lid opens, some <laughs> reaction happens in the audience. We need yeah. to give the, yeah, yeah. the audience some cool thing and she was the only person left lying around. So <laughs> that's what we're doing. Like it, none of it, none of it matters other than, oh, a person I recognize from a thing. <laughs> the details of, why she's there, how she's, all that. We'll worry about that later. Who cares? Jeff, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're right. But also, you know, Jeff, you're coming to this from a not fan of the yes. franchise perspective. <laughs> That's and deep non-investment. Yeah. No, no, that First is 100% true to me, Jeff. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome for getting you into this franchise, Jeff. Because this is, this is the modern day comic book soap opera. Like, we have other than comic stuff. book soap opera. Other than the comic book soap, but this is the thing, and it's such a, like a unique thing. And I, you know, I love that we get to keep talking about it. But I, I am waiting for them to bring back um, 
That that one dude from the first movie who had a Volkswagen. This is bring everybody back. Everybody who died. That <laughs> well, dude. I mean, What's there are great characters that yes. fans remember from the movies before, like Suki from Too Fast, yes, or Eva Suki's Mendes, good. who did reappear once. And like that would be so cool if Monica. Fontes I want came her. Back. She needs to come back. I want Eva Mendes to just have a you know? comeback in general. So yeah. I, well, you well, know, well, Giselle well, coming back does set up. You know, they're bringing in. They're like calling upon all the. Avengers to like unite in one final face off. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense to to me that this is what's happening narratively. It just makes me go, oh, so like <laughs> my feelings about Han and Giselle are now are they invalidated? <laughs> what? Well, Jen, Jen here's what next? here's what I'll say. I thought when they brought back Han, they actually did it very well like they they did this whole backstory and like explained all this stuff and so i'm i'm willing to withhold judgment to see how they explain yes. giselle's presence so like absolutely in three years or whatever when fast 11 comes out we'll see wh- how they explain giselle's presence and maybe yeah. it will be artful and beautiful or maybe it will be cheap and sad and but, but the I han thought- thing we all wanted han to come back like we all <laughs> felt that was a severe injustice mm-hmm. of yes. this franchise yes. mm-hmm. so it had to be rectified and if you're gonna have jason statham back you damn well better get Han back. So like Indeed. that was that was justice. The Gal Gadot thing. Yeah, I don't know what that is. But I, I, so I yeah. asked Sung Kang uh, recently about his feelings on both of these, <laughs> both of those, I guess spoilers because so many of the big reveals. If there, if we say there are three big reveals, big, three big twists in Fast Ten, two of them have directly to do with Han. One is you know Han going and making nice with. Deckard Shaw, mm-hmm. who is for some reason he's so angry. What does Deckard Shaw have to be so angry about? <laughs> uh, he like legit tried to kill. He thought he killed Han, and he was happy about it. Yeah, but okay. He's anyway. annoyed about his spinoff. It didn't turn out so well for him. So well, Sun King's back. perspective, yeah. I think, is a really cool, chill, very chill one, and also a really lovely way to look at it, which is that for him, justice for Han is is making peace, is moving forward. And so that's where that scene makes sense. But he also told me that as scripted, it was just like a really quick, they fight, they ha- they trade one blow, one blow, one blow, one blow. And when they were practicing, when they were rehearsing that scene in Fast 10, they just, they, they really put, he and Statham and I guess Leteria put in a lot of effort to make the action meaningful mm-hmm. uh, from a character perspective. So compared to what, I guess initially it was planned, which is just like a like a rock versus diesel face off, you know, before they grudgingly go, oh, you're OK. I feel like there is a lot more history and meaning and future, you know, forward looking uh, resolution in that one action scene uh, between them. Rock, rock versus rock versus diesel or Shaw versus diesel? Rock versus diesel. Like, okay. when yeah. like you know, in um, yeah. Fast, Fast Five. five. Yeah. I see. I see. Gotcha. gotcha. OK. Um, oh. Yeah, so so Sung King's perspective on forgiving Shaw, I think, is what they're moving forward in the spirit of. And with Giselle, I, he said that he he thought it was a long time coming. It would make sense within the Fast universe. Okay, well, we will see. Uh, of course, we also uh, mentioned that uh, Hobbs, right, the Dwayne the Rock Johnson character, is back. Um, a development that was spoiled by some publications publicly before the movie even came out. I didn't out. see that. I didn't very, see that. I was genuinely shocked by that. Yeah. A major publication that shall remain nameless spoiled it for everyone, which is pretty tasteless in my opinion. Um, 
And uh, this is interesting. How is that working? Yeah. This, this is interesting because uh, the, Dwayne The Rock, you know, people use misuse the term feud a lot. But I would say that they actually have like an ongoing public conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, where yeah, but Dwayne Black the... Adam tanked, so <laughs> yeah. But but Dwayne the Rock Daddy Johnson needs has... a hit. <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Johnson has publicly denounced Vin Diesel and like mm-hmm. called him manipulative in public, and um, they notoriously like have refused to appear on screen at the same time. They didn't appear on screen in this movie, and I think it's also possible they're not going to appear on screen in the next movie. We um, have the technology to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but anyway. Fun, fun surprise. Also, uh, Jason Momoa, clearly one of those uh, serial killers that likes to put a lot of work into arts and crafts. Like he has a whole freaking modern art uh, visual exhibit for yeah. Vin Diesel as well as Hobbs, uh, which is just very considerate. It helps him get in very the mood. Very considerate. You know? And very considerate. They always, the, the serial killers <laughs> always leave it on when, they, when they're gone. So that someone can walk into the room and all the images are still playing. <laughs> Absolutely. Very considerate of serial so, killers super, to do super that. Super considerate. Super considerate. Yeah. All right. Um, any, any Jen, any thoughts on Hobbs coming back? or, or uh, I enjoyed it. I yeah. enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, you know, like, I think the setup uh, of that scene, that post-credit scene, uh, you kind of know where it's going. And by the time a lot of people see it, they certainly will have had it spoiled in some form. But even knowing what, that The Rock was going to show up in some form when I, by the time I was able to see it, because the first time I saw the movie as a press screening, they kept it off the, the screening. Anyway, oh, wow. Um, so I went back and I watched it again just to see The Rock's credit tag. <laughs> and the way that he delivers just a few lines actually, for me, injected a lot of excitement back into the movie. Um, it made a lot, of, a lot more sense. Uh, as opposed to if it didn't, if that scene didn't exist, and you're like uh, Dante, do you remember who actually killed your bro- your father? Because uh, I wasn't dumb. Um, <laughs> technically, in Fast Five, you know, at the end of Fast Five, yeah. yes, Dom and Brian, also Brian, but you also know, Brian. Let's leave Brian alone. Uh, <laughs> technically, it is Hobbs who goes and puts like a couple of bullets in. In also, one of the most corpse. like cold blooded, yeah, cold blooded like, killings, yes. like just no, no, Walking no away, fanfare, boom, boom. no one liner, yeah. just boom, pop, pop, like he's he's which dead. you know made a lot more sense at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and then now there's a little bit of like retconning around characters and emotions and the past, but Man. for me watching you know Dante's like uh, t- taunting Hobbs in this scene, but then. <laughs> And hearing The Rock like go back to like his WWE days was actually it was really exciting for him. And I was like, yeah, I'm in for this. Yeah, I, I smell mean, like, yeah. what he is cooking, etc. etc. I kind of cackled because again, the background machinations to make mm. that happen. What what did it take? Yeah, for The Rock to be humbled by it the deeds. It took Black Adam yeah. tanking. Yeah. I guess and taking the balance of power in the DC universe, not shifting, not shifting. (laughs) But you know, like I think of all franchises where certainly every single studio franchise that is successful or not has a fair degree of drama behind the scenes Mm -hmm. that we mostly don't hear about. Mostly does not see daylight because the, uh, the stars don't feud publicly on Instagram, but this one, at least in the last few years, the whole cast has been very upfront about, there being drama 
it's inescapable. Yeah. So it's not like anyone's really trying to hide it. Yeah. You know, it's it's just interesting. And also like two of the biggest egos in Hollywood, basically like clashing together in a franchise. Like what what does this mean for the next one? There, there are two like behind the scene things I want to see. I want to see the Justin Lin stuff, like or at least like learn more about what happened. And I hope like he is off doing his own like great things. Um, and I, I want to see how The Rock came back. Like to me, that's just interesting from like a uh, insider perspective, you know? Yeah. All right. Well. I think we should wrap it up there because uh, we are we're running a little bit long here. Uh, but Jen Yamato is a film reporter at the LA Times. We really appreciate her joining us today and providing her expertise on the Fast franchise. And Jen, we'd love if you. I already put a pin in it. You know, we'd love if you come back in a couple years when hopefully the franchise will come to an end with Fast Eleven. We'll see. Uh, maybe it'll be Fast Twelve. But either way, Jen Yamato, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I will certainly come back for Fast X X. X. Mm. <laughs> oh. Fast Triple X? Mm-hmm. Crossover, mm-hmm. please. Uh, uh, yeah, you can find more episodes. Oh, oh and, and I, sh- I should also mention, of course, at the end of the day, it's really impressive that Louis Leterrier made a movie. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. read story about how he made this movie, too, because it's insane. <laughs> Apparently, like, he wrote the script work. in three days with, with no sleep, is if I recall correctly. Yeah. But anyway, on the flight, uh, like, it doesn't after feel like that. Up. I mean, the movie's yeah. ridiculous, but I think they chose the best, absolute best person to step into the pre-production who knew this franchise yeah. Yeah. inside and out, who appreciated things like Los Bandoleros, which it, only real fans know about. It and feels put like it into uh, the text of the movie. If, if, if a true Fast and Furious fan were, mm-hmm. were tapped to make the next movie, this, it kind of feels like that without mm. being a fan service movie. The one thing I want to point out, by the way, um, I love those like late nineties BMWs. Uh, that all the bad guys have at the end that is a true transporter nod to me. Mm. I know Louis, Louis Leterrier knows what he's doing, putting those cars in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, you can find more episodes of this podcast at filmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen. Our spoiler bumper and weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen, and video assistance provided by Kurt Mega and John Barry. Next week on the podcast, it's going to be The Little Mermaid. Uh, heard a lot of mixed things about this one and uh, not sure it's going to be any good, but hopefully changing gears as it were. <laughs> Tune right in, though. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the music's good. Hopefully the music's good, but we will look forward to discussing it then. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. We'll see you later. Goodbye. <laughs>